Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific need. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholsshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Victor Antonio, welcome to the program. Selling is all about really, it's, we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think you're selling, a solution. You're selling change. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the liberty movement. And this is why we talk about being the trusted advisor. You should be able to help use that expert guidance and all the opinions that I'm sure that you have and help lead them towards not just a decision, but the right decision. Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Hello, world, and welcome to another episode of Making It with Chris G, where we have conversations with people in the world of entertainment who are making it from behind the scenes to the spotlight, sharing their stories and insight to help you get one step closer to making it. Musicians have the blueprint to end poverty. That's right. Musicians have the blueprint to end poverty. What's going on, y'all? So today's episode is a talk that I did at my final day of class at my entertainment finance class. And when we ended the class, the last four lectures was something they called the the, um, Financial Freedom Series. And the series taught students how to invest in stocks and analyze stocks, different types of investments. We looked at Web 3.0 and how that's going to change the world and, and industries. And, uh, and we also did this final talk and how musicians have the blueprint to end poverty. So I wanted to share this with, with our listeners. Um, hopefully y'all, y'all enjoy this. And um, just a couple quick housekeeping things as always, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, we also have a Patreon. If you want to learn how the music business works or you just want to support the podcast, you can support for as little as a dollar a month. And for 10 bucks a month, we have um, access to all kinds of videos that teach you how to run ads, to teach you how to book shows, how the music business works. And then we have a $20 level live workshops and actually now coming up, you get an opportunity to talk to our guests on the podcast as well. So Check that out. That's at patreon.com forward slash making it academy. And here we go. So again, musicians have the blueprint to end poverty. What do most people want in life? If you think about people around the world, people around the country, from all different cultures, all different experiences, different walks of life, different religions, different political backgrounds, what do most people want in life? I asked this question to, to my students in that final class. And, and I was really encouraged by, by what I heard because you know, some people are concerned where, where Gen Z is going to be politically, philosophically, right, um, theologically, or just as people, are they gonna be good people? And the answer from, from my class made me really, I mean, I, I teach because I love Gen Z and just, young people in general and they, being around them makes me optimistic to begin with but i was really encouraged by by their answers right so their 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 response i asked them 
would, would you agree that happiness is what most people want, regardless of where you're from, regardless of your walk, walk of life, right? Because it's fair to say, if you use the 80-20 rule, that 80% of people just want to be happy. Could I push that? Could I say 90%, 95, maybe 98% people want to be happy, right? The majority of people, all they want is, is happiness. So what makes us happy? So I asked that question to my students, right? And their answers, again, were really encouraging. And I don't know, maybe sounds a little bit libertarian. As I would say, more people are libertarian than they know, but they don't even, they don't even know it, right? So their answers was family, health, stability, leisure, freedom, achieving their goals, fulfillment, purpose, and love, right? So all really amazing things. And it's probably easy to say that most people in the world want those things in life. So a teacher at UCF actually a long time ago when I was a student gave me this really great definition of what happiness is. And he said, it's someone to love, something to do, something to look forward to, and something to give back. So I ask you, does money buy happiness? I've, I've had a guest on the podcast, Derek Sivers, and Derek Sivers talked about this on the Tim Ferriss show, and I love his answer. I love the, the honesty in, in his answer to does money buy happiness, right? Because it's so easy to say for a rich person that money does not buy happiness, right? It just, it, it, yeah, money doesn't buy happiness. It's so easy to say for someone that has money, someone that is rich, right? But if you are, are like me, you know, right, most people, right, we're probably grinding, living paycheck to paycheck, maybe have a little bit in savings, it's, it's so easy for someone like that to say it doesn't buy happiness. So I ask you, does money buy happiness? What Derek Sivers said on this Tim, Tim Ferriss podcast, uh, and Derek Sivers, real quick background, he's, he's the founder of CD Baby, right? So before musicians could sell music online, the only way you could go to sell music online was through a major label. And Derek Sivers made it possible for independent musicians to sell their music online. So he gave a lot of power to, to small business owners and small entrepreneurs, right? Because now they could make money and make a living online selling their music. So what he said on the Tim Ferriss show, he said money, does not, uh, money doesn't necessarily buy happiness, but it makes things easier, right? And if things are easier, then that can lead to happiness. If you don't have to go through the grind and through the struggle every single day, then having some money makes things much, much easier, right? Besides working for money, how, how else can people earn more and get out of poverty, living paycheck to paycheck, or having maybe enough savings that last them more than a month, right? So if you got laid off today, how long would that last you? A month, two months, maybe a week, right? Most Americans can't, don't even have a month's worth of expenses and savings. So how can we build more wealth. And, and I'll reference a book at the, at the end, but there's a really, or an essay, there's a really cool essay by this, this writer named Murray Rothbard, and it's Anatomy of the State. And in this essay, he said, there's two ways to build wealth. It's using economic means, right? So using free markets and starting a business, starting a side hustle and saving that money, investing that money and building wealth that way, using free markets. The other way is through political means, and that is taking other people's stuff. So what we're gonna talk about today, we're gonna to look at, at the problem, right, of building wealth, and how musicians have the blueprint to solve that, and how we can apply that to, to our lives and other industries. So let's start with the problem. So record labels are, the, the, the I guess, I'm not even gonna say anywhere the necessary evil of the music industry, but record labels is the route that a lot of musicians in the past wanted to go, right? And Rick Barker, who's also been on the podcast, has a great podcast called The Music Industry Blueprint. He once talked about how, or he always talks about how, if you wanna be famous, he's not the guy for you, right? But if you wanna make a living being a musician, he can help you, I can help you, right? There's so many great, voices out there in, in the podcast world. They can help independent musicians. Help I, I help independent promoters and managers. We help you make a living doing doing this. And you know, going to record label route is is chasing fame. It's not really going to build happiness, right? When you sit down in your in your bedroom or in your studio and you write a song, you own everything. 
you own, there's two copyrights to the song, right? So there's the composition and there's the master, or also known as the sound recording. And when you write your own song and you write the melody and the lyrics, you own all of it. 100% is yours. You're, you have the ability to take that and monetize that, right? But why, why, does, why does someone play music? Like, why do you play music if, if you're a musician that's listening or you have a friend that's a musician or you work in the industry, you work with musicians, right? Why do people want to play music? Because it makes them happy, right? Because it gives them purpose, going back to, to what most people want in life. But then you hear these countless stories of record labels screwing over artists by giving them horrible deals. And, you know, I, I've also said on the podcast, the reason these horrible deals exist is because we keep signing these freaking deals. Stop signing horrible deals. Stop giving away ownership to your music because you own it all. You have the power until you give it away. Right? Sound familiar? You have the power until you give it away. You own what you create until you give it away. Even major artists like Taylor Swift have have struggled with their record deals, right? It's their first record, her first record deal. Um, she was with Big Machine and Scott Borchetta was the, the owner of Big Machine. And when her, her first, when her label deal ended a few years ago, it was the first time in her career where she had the option to sign a new deal. And she ended up going to, what was it, Universal, right? It's where she went. And Scott Borchetta sold her masters for a ton of money to Scooter Braun. And that pissed her off because she didn't even have the option to buy her own masters. And, you know, even artists as big as Taylor Swift have issues with their record labels, right? Because they give up ownership. And there's so many independent musicians or small musicians you may have never heard of that sign with a major label and never release their music, right? I think Ari Herstand talks about, I think it's 90% of artists that sign with a major label never release music. And only 1% of artists that sign with a major label are successful. So why give up all of your ownership when you only have a 1% chance of success with that major label, right? The chance is already slim enough as it is. Well, that depends, right? As independent musicians, there's many ways to build a living. And I've talked about that a lot on podcasts. But why, why take something that's so hard to build, building your own business, earning a living, and giving that up? for 1% chance out of the artists that sign with a major label, right? It's already hard enough to get a label deal and then it's even harder to be successful on a label. So when you sign with a major label, the labels dictate everything. They, and they have control over everything, right? And you don't only just give up ownership, but you also give up power and control. Again, sound familiar? We'll get there in a second. So when you give up power and control, uh, they can decide what you post on social media, which photos you use when you take do a photo shoot, maybe even who, you, who your photographer is, who your producer is, who your band is. They can fire members in your band. They they will dictate and control everything. And sure, they might do it in in your best interest, but maybe it's also in their best interest, right? And probably a lot of times it is in their best interest. Who, who are those people that they're surrounding you with? What what are, what benefits are there? for for them to surround you with those people so labels own your music and they also get a cut from everything right so not all deals are 360 deals but on, th on 360 deals they're going to take a cut from merch they're taking a cut from your touring they're, of course they're taking own your royalties right and they take a cut from any other money you might bring in sponsorships right so are are musicians happy when they give up everything to record labels are you happy when you give up all your ownership and all the power and control. You know, what, what this does, these rich and powerful labels, they get richer off of your music while musicians and songwriters get screwed, right? And they're continuing to grind and struggle. So again, I've mentioned a few times, does this sound familiar? Maybe sound like government? Every election, right? Democrats and Republicans promise to help the poor. They promise to help the middle class. And for decades, we went, we just go keep going back and forward, back and forward. Democrats in charge, Republicans in charge. A Democrat president, a Republican president. A Democrat Congress, a Republican Congress. Democrat governors, Republican governors. And the gap between the rich and the poor keeps getting bigger. And poverty continues to increase not decrease, right? There was a small decline in the 80s and 90s where poverty did go down. 
but now it's skyrocketing again because nothing changes when we put those two parties in charge. They do nothing, nothing for our lives. When the economy crashes, who buys up all the houses? It's the rich, right? When people get poorer because they lose their livelihood because of the economic crash, the rich get richer, not the poor or the middle class. When you sue a wealthy landlord, right? Someone has endless amounts of properties, hundreds, maybe thousands, they own apartment buildings, they own commercial real estate. When you sue a landlord like that, what happens to them? Nothing. They have lawyers on retainer, maybe even lawyers on staff that protect their business. But when you take a small person that is trying to build a better future for their family, that's trying to build some wealth, and they maybe own one, two, maybe five properties, right? What happens when you sue them? They're done, right? They're finished. They don't have lawyers on retainer. They could lose everything when they get sued. So how do you get someone out of poverty? How do you get someone out of the lower middle class or even middle class? How do you start building wealth? It's ownership. Owning your property, owning your job, owning your business, owning your money, and owning yourself. So musicians have the blueprint to that, right? So as I mentioned earlier, when songwriters write songs, they own everything. They, they, every songwriter is an entrepreneur. Every musician is an entrepreneur. If you're releasing music and you're trying to monetize that music, guess what? You're an entrepreneur. If you want to promote concerts because you love promoting concerts, you're an entrepreneur. If you want to manage an artist and help develop artists and help them make a living at what they do, you're an entrepreneur. You're utilizing free markets to build a better life for yourself, right? To build a better life for your, your, your family and your future. When musicians write their songs, they have all the power and control to what, to, for, for those two copyrights, right? And they have the ability to do whatever they want with them. They have the ability to monetize them. And the more they write, the more they release, the more potential they have to earn money. And of course, the more, I always encourage, the more you write, the better you get at writing, right? You should be writing music all the time. You should try to write a song a day, right? Even if it's if it's junk, even if it's something you're never gonna release, try to write a song a day, maybe two, right? You should have hundreds if not thousands of songs in your library. The longer you've been at this, the more songs you should be in your, should be in your library and the more opportunity you should have to monetize those songs and to build a career. And you would document that journey and create so much amazing content with all the music you write and the journey of becoming a better writer, right? And the, the songs musicians write, they are known as intellectual property, right? So that intellectual property is something you can monetize. Other intellectual property could be books, it could be movies, TV shows, scripts, photography, right? There's so many different types of intellectual property that you can monetize. So what that is, is an income-producing asset. So an income-producing asset is something that you own that can bring you bring in revenue for you, right? So what are some other income-producing assets? They could be stocks, cryptocurrency, real estate, gold, silver, commodities. You could grow plants in your backyard and sell the, the fruit and the vegetables that you grow in your own backyard, right? You can have a a beehive of, of, uh, of bees and sell honey at a local farmer's market to your neighbors, to your friends, family, sell it at your merch stand. Those are all income producing assets. So the, there, there are so many ways to build wealth, right? There's so many ways. If you have discipline in your finances, you save money, you put away at least 10, 15% of your money, maybe even higher. You know, in class, we've talked about um, the FIRE method, right? So the FIRE method is, um, People that retire young, right? People that, uh, if they try to invest as much as they can and then they retire early, right? So financial independence, retire early. That's what FIRE stands for. I was trying to think as, a, as I'm talking. And th these people try to have as high of a savings rate as possible. And let's say you need $50,000 a year, right, to live. And what you do, you just say you invest that in a safe asset, like index funds, where that on average produce 10% a year. And you do the math, right? How much money do you need to have in your bank account to get $50,000 a year at 10% savings rate? So it's about $500,000, right? $500,000, 10% of that is $50,000 a year. So if that's what you need, then you should work as hard as you can to get $500,000 in the bank account. And maybe I'll record the rest of the, the Freedom Series uh, to teach you all how, how to get there, uh, financial freedom seniors. But 
in income producing assets. So why is it so hard sometimes to build wealth? Why is it so hard to start a business and become an entrepreneur? It's because the government gets in the way, right? The government makes it more difficult to own things with laws, regulations, permits, requiring licenses, right? They have all kinds of rules and regulations on income producing assets and and giving you the ability to create more, but they have so many rules and regulations and licenses requirements and permit requirements that make it really, really difficult. And you know, we could talk about each of the different asset classes and how the government makes it more challenging, but let's talk about the licensing piece real quick. So requiring a license to own a business, right? In New York, it costs thousands of dollars to have a license to braid someone's hair. Like how many people in the country right now, the second as you're listening to this, are braiding someone's hair, braiding a neighbor's hair, braiding a friend's hair, and maybe even charging 10 bucks for it or 20 bucks for it, right? How many are doing that right now? And if they don't have a license to do that, they're technically breaking the law. Should someone that's braiding hair to make a little bit of extra money, or if someone's cutting hair, right, or someone that's shaving beards, someone that's doing something very innocent, should they be a criminal because they're they're just trying to make a little bit of extra money in a honest and and legal or honest and what should be legal way, right? Um, something that's not going to harm anyone. No, these people should not be going to jail or be fined uh, for what they're doing. They should have the ability to start a business. And and we'll get to loopholes, right? Or other other ways around owning owning a license. Let's jump to real estate real quick. And, and, and licenses, right, real quick, I guess, before I jump to real estate, licenses exist in all different industries, different sectors, right? You need a license to sell liquor. You need a license to sell beer. You need a license to sell... Um, to sell it like most things right or work in most industries you need a license and you know if you in, in germany where i'm from you, you go to massage therapy school right to become a massage therapist and, and you can even do courses to become a massage therapist and then then you're a massage therapist you don't need a license for that here you need a license issued by the government and who's to say that that license is actually a high quality training right so in real estate and unless you're a veteran, right, the lowest amount you, you have to put down on a house is about 3.5%, right, if you, if you have decent credit. And that's called an FHA loan. And the reason I say unless you're a veteran, veterans actually have some really cool loans where you have to put zero down and you can get a house. But let's say you have to put down 3.5%. In Orlando, it's pretty hard finding a decent house in a good neighborhood for less less than 250 and that is pushing it, maybe even 300 But Three and a half percent down on two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's eight thousand seven hundred fifty dollars, eight hundred and seven, eight thousand seven hundred fifty dollars plus closing costs, right? And maybe a few other fees. And if you're if you're doing an FHA loan, you have to pay for an inspection. You have to pay for someone to inspect the house. So it's not just three and a half percent down. It's more. And for someone living paycheck to paycheck, or for someone living lower middle class or in poverty, they don't have nine ten thousand dollars just laying around in savings right to go buy a house so it's really challenging for someone to to own a home and build some some wealth when i used to when i got started in the music industry i started with this organization called rock for hunger where we go downtown every week we would feed the homeless we feed about 100 200 homeless people we would go every friday go tutor kids at the new image youth center which actually shantae uh, barton stubbs has been on the podcast from the new Image Youth center and we would try to help make the community better, right? And, but when we were talking to the homeless, we learned a few things about their, their lifestyles and their living. And a lot of them that we that we fed, right? We didn't go to a shelter. We went, fed them in a park um, called Lake Eola in Orlando. And before that, we actually fed them in the post office because it used to be illegal to feed the homeless. The mayor literally had people arrested for homeless people, for someone to want to feed a homeless person. And... We found a loophole around that. We did that at the post office, which is federal property, right? So you couldn't arrest us on federal property. And then later on, they, they finally let that, that stupid law go and we could feed homeless people in a park again. But talking to the homeless people, they preferred to sleep on the street or in under a, you know, under a bridge or in, in the woods because 
it was dangerous for that dangerous to sleep in the shelters, right? In the shelters is where people got robbed, raped, beat up, or sometimes even killed. And someone that's trying to create a better life for themselves and is down on their luck, uh, they don't want to be in those conditions, right? So it's illegal to sleep under their bridge, or it's, it's totally fine and legal to sleep under a bridge or on the street or in in the woods, but it is not legal to buy a piece of property. Let's say you find a cheap piece of land and you wanted to build a tiny home on that piece of land. That is illegal. You cannot own a tiny home on a piece of land without licenses and permits, right? A bunch of requirements that you have to get approved from the government. Now let's talk about cannabis. In Florida, you have to pay $60,000 per year to distribute, plus $60,000 if you wanna grow, plus $60,000 if you want to dispense, right? So you might want to just do one of the three, but to do one of the three is 60,000. And for each additional, it's an additional 60,000. So we're talking about $180,000 if you want to grow a plant in your backyard and package it and then distribute it, right? There's people in jail and people in prisons that sold nothing but cannabis. That's all they sold. And it's a schedule one drug, right? So it's a federal offense. It's it's worse than heroin and worse than cocaine on the schedule of drugs and in the federal government. And these people are in jails and prisons in, in states where it's not legalized yet, or maybe in some states even too, where it is legalized, right? And these are, and, and you know, cannabis is becoming more and more mainstream. More and more people are open to cannabis or won't judge someone for, for smoking cannabis. And you know, we've learned there's lots of health benefits to to cannabis. I, I smoke it because I have short syndrome and, you know, I, the, the nasal or nasally sounds or, yeah, vocal sounds I make sometimes, that's my Tourette's. And I, I smoke because it helps reduce my symptoms for Tourette's. It would be much worse if I, if I didn't smoke. But these pioneers of this industry that in a way are in the industry of health, in a way they're of, in the industry of antidepressants and the industry of helping cancer patients, right? Build up an appetite so, so they eat. They're, or in the industry of helping people with pain, right? There's so many benefits to cannabis and the pioneers of that industry are in prison or in jail. Or if their records got expunged and they're free, they don't have money saved up to, to grow cannabis and distribute it or, or sell it. Right? So they have to go back to doing it illegally. And when you do something against the laws, the rules, then you create a black market. And then now it's a higher chance of you going to jail again for doing it illegally. And it's not okay. Like something that grows literally like a weed in your backyard, you're now a criminal if you if you want to sell that. It's just not something not right with that system. Killer Mike has a really cool uh, TV show, right, on, on Netflix. And I think it's only one season, but on, on the first, and Killer Mike's from, from a band called, uh, from a group called uh, Run the Jewels, a really cool hip-hop duo from, from Atlanta. But in the first episode of, of the show, he challenges himself while on tour, I think it's for a week, uh, to shop only at purely Black-owned businesses, right? And it doesn't... Like, so he assumed you'll go to a black neighborhood and you go eat at a restaurant or go to the grocery store and that would be 100% black owned. Guess what he found out? They weren't black owned, right? Most of these, these businesses were owned by, by someone else, someone that's not black. And he, he also learned through this research that a long time ago in, in the, you know, before the Civil Rights Act, we'll get to that in a second, um, there were way more Black-owned businesses than there are, are today. And sure, there might be a lot of Black-owned businesses in the world of entertainment, in the world of finance, and so many cool like, online businesses, right? But when you come to like basic needs, like food and shelter, like there's not a lot of Black-owned businesses. There's not a lot of minority-owned businesses, right? I'm, I've, I've, I'm, I have a Latin background. My dad's from South America. And there's also not a lot of Latino-owned um, grocery stores or restaurants or um yeah grocery stores restaurants where else am i getting at um maybe not, not a lot of latino owned uh fi financial um assistance programs right so that's starting to change it's happening there's more of that uh because people are working really really hard saving up a ton of money to get these expenses expensive licenses so 
if if the Civil Rights Act never happened, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing that it happened, because there's some bad to it, but if it never happened, but we continue to evolve as we have, right? We continue to become more intelligent, more connected through social media, through conversation, through lectures and movies and documentaries. Do you really believe that segregation would still exist today if the Civil Rights Act never happened? Or do you believe if the free market would have allowed to make change, to have, make these changes? Do you believe those changes would have still happened? I do, right? And, and my students that I asked, they, they all believe that if the Civil Rights Act never happened, that the industry would have changed and evolved itself. I mean, these days if a business is, is racist, you go on Yelp or Google and write horrible reviews about this business, right? And there's countless horrible reviews that a business is racist or people are protesting in front of a business. Are people going to go there? Probably not. Hopefully not, right? That business will probably go out of business. So with time, we, we actually have evolved intellectually as well, right? Become better people. Brianna, another really, one of my favorite stories that I, I talk about a lot. So Brianna, when she signed to her major label, her first album, right, was a smash. Second album was a smash. And she went on an arena tour, sold out shows all over the world, very successful, lots of money coming in, but she files for bankruptcy. Why does she file for bankruptcy? Such a successful artist, famous, right? Everything that you, you hope to have out of a career, fame and selling records and selling out venues, but she was broke because she owned nothing. She didn't own her music. There's other songwriters that wrote songs for her. Uh, the label owned the masters, right? She maybe got an artist royalty, but that would go towards her advance and that probably wasn't paid back. So she filed for bankruptcy. She was flat broke. And today she's a billionaire. So what changed? She started her own business, right? She started her fashion company. And they're now, it was in the news this week, they're now gonna open some actual retail stores across the country as well. Amazing story, right? Someone that filed bankrupt, but never gave up, kept using the free, or as free as the markets are, we'll get to that in a second, but as free as the markets are, she kept using the markets to build ownership, to build wealth, and today she's a billionaire, right? So we've talked about the problem. Let's talk about some solutions. What is a way around licensing? What is a way around all these rules and regulations that the government uh, creates? Can an industry operate successfully without a license? Let me ask you this. Does a musician need a license to write music? No. Does a musician need a license to release music, to put it on Spotify or to put it on SoundCloud or put it on YouTube? Do you need a license to do that? No. Does a musician need a license to go play a show? If you want to play a show, book a show at the local club, right? Do you need to go get a license from the government to play a show? No. If you want to print up some merch and sell merchandise to, at your shows or even sell merchandise on your website, do you need a license to do that? No. If you want to start a Patreon and you want to start having fans crowdfund your, your career, right? Or do a crowdfunding campaign on, on Kickstarter or somewhere else, do you need a license from the government to do that? No. So you might say, well, yeah, well, that's music, right? And it's not like music can harm anyone. Um, it's, not, it's not physically. <laughs> I know some people get you know, upset by some of the lyrics in some, in some songs, but it's, it's not harming anyone physically, right? And I'd say, so it's just music. But are there other industries that use a similar blueprint that musicians do of not needing a license, maybe certification. Have you ever gone to a nutrition store or to a Whole Foods or vitamin shop, GNC, anywhere that sells supplements? Have you ever bought a supplement? Have you ever taken a protein powder? Have you ever taken a multivitamin? Are those FDA approved? No, they're not. The supplement industry regulates itself, right? Now, some supplements have certifications. They might have the organic label. They might have the, the non-GMO label. I forget the name of the label, but for, for some for for athletes, right? There's a, a label that is, is athlete approved um, for you know for athletes that get maybe drug tested for for competing. So the industry is regulating itself. And how often do you hear of someone dying from a supplement? Not very often, right? Maybe not even at all. 
Now, there was an issue one time with ephedra, where people were getting heart attacks and, and dying from taking, taking ephedra. You know, either their, their, their bodies couldn't handle it or they took too much, right? I don't know why, but people were dying and having heart attacks from ephedra. So what did the industry do? It quickly regulated itself, right? I, I think it's hydroxycut, right? That was the main supplement. They started releasing new products that didn't have ephedra in them. And did, did that change the industry? Do people now all of a sudden need to have a license to put out supplements? No, right? This was 15 years ago and it's 15 years later, maybe even longer than 15 years ago. And years later, the, the supplement industry is still regulating itself. We can learn more from the fitness industry. Have you ever worked with a personal trainer or have you seen a personal trainer at a gym at least, right? So someone training a client, did you know they don't need a license to be a personal trainer? They have a certification. Well, it depends on the gym, right? I mean, in some gyms, they don't have a certification. In some, some gym might be the, the athlete or the former pro athlete or the bodybuilder in the gym that just trains clients, right? Cause he's super fit or she's super fit and they're just training someone. And because because of their own personal track record and their personal experience, but most gyms will require a license or a certification. Sorry, and there's different types of certifications, right? There's all different levels of certifications. There is the, the single day certification that you pay 100, 150 bucks, and you become a certified trainer, and then now you can start as a certified trainer, and you can actually get insurance if you have a certification. Take some water real quick. You, you have the licenses that cost hundreds of dollars, maybe over a thousand dollars, right? And those certifications have better education, better resources, better books, right? They, they come in really great, amazing textbooks. I used to be a personal trainer. I don't look like it anymore, but these certifications, some of these are, certifications are amazing. And I've learned more from those certifications than I did taking college classes. I took a nutrition class in college after being a personal trainer for a few years and never studied. And I got straight A's in the class. I used every single test because of the quality of education that these certifications provided. So what certification do you need to work at a gym? The gyms decide, right? The business decides which certifications they accept. And it's based on the quality of the certifications. Some gyms will require any certification as long as you have one. Some gyms, again, might let you train without one if you're the former pro athlete or college star or bodybuilding champion, right? They, they may not require you to have a certification at all. And then some gyms will only require the best certifications, right? The, the, the ones that are not a weekend course, the ones where you're studying for two, three, maybe even six months. Um, so the businesses decides, right? So what what is that when the businesses decide, when the industry decides? Those are called free markets. You often hear people, just people, right? Not just young people, but people complain about capitalism, that capitalism destroys lives and capitalism is this and this bad thing. Capitalism is evil, right? And when I look at capitalism in America, yeah, it's fucking terrible, right? It's, it does destroy lives and it does a lot of horrible things but it's because there's interference. It's not a free market. What a free market is, is when there's zero government interference, when the government doesn't create laws or regulations or even fund businesses, right? The second the government interferes with the private sector, it's no longer a free market. The, the market is now corrupted and that is called crony capitalism. You've never heard that term. So look up crony capitalism. Um, it also comes from a style of economics called Keynesian economics, right? And this is not a Democrat or Republican issue. These are both parties who use Keynesian economics. If you look at the economic spectrum, right? So I know politics, we often talk about left and right, right? But in, in economics, it's more of a top and bottom, right? So the political spectrum is really more like a diamond instead of uh, just a left and right thing, right? So on the diamond, on, on the bottom, so the bottom half of the diamond, so imagine, you know, you have a top, a bottom, and a left and a right. So the right being, you know, put parties on it, it could be the Republicans, the left being the Democrats. And they, they can all be on the left or right or the center and be on the top or bottom of that diamond, right? So you could be a Republican that's towards the bottom of the diamond and a Democrat that's towards the bottom of the diamond and same thing vice versa. You can have a Democrat or Republican there towards the top of the diamond. So let me break down the diamond real quick. And 
if I remember, I'll throw in a visual on, on the YouTube video. Uh, so if you're listening to the audio version, I'll try to describe the visual as best as possible, right? So you can take the diamond, right? So in the center, if you draw a line from left to right, there's a bottom half and a top half. And there's two main economic schools on each half. The bottom half is the centralized half, right? And the more you move towards the bottom, that's you're moving towards the collective and large organizations, right? So the government can be a large organization. Amazon is a gigantic organization. Google, Facebook, right? Those are giant organizations. So moving towards the bottom of diamonds benefits those giant organizations and collective, right? So doing things for the greater good. Um, and when you move all the way to the bottom, that economic school that's there, that's socialism. Right? And that's where a lot of people are going towards, like they're heading towards socialism. And I'm not going to give my opinion on this podcast, whether it's, I think it's good or bad. I, mean, I, feel, I feel like most of you, especially if you listen regularly, you probably know where I'm at. But the bottom of the diamond is socialism. The school right above that, still centralized, right? So the bottom half is centralized, centralized economies. That's Keynes, Keynesian economics. So Keynesian is a centralized school of economics. It's all these supply and demand charts and all this crazy math that you've probably seen at school and you probably just tuned the hell out because it's boring as shit, right? Um, but these schools create more government control, more government interference. They think it's a good thing and someone takes a rock and throws it through the window of a business because now that business has to hire the glassmaker to make a new piece of glass and then hire someone to install that piece of glass, right? So their argument is it creates jobs. Just like they believe that wars and killing people, right? Murdering people overseas, murdering, having innocent lives be destroyed and killed. They believe that's a good thing because it stimulates and helps the economy. So I believe that's a bad economist, right? Keynesian economics. And yes, I hate capitalism in America also. However, it's two other schools. So if you move towards the North Pole and the top half of diamond, that is called the decentralized schools, right? That's the whole Web 3.0, that's blockchain, that's cryptocurrency, right? They're all talking about this decentralized culture. So the first school you come across is the Chicago School. And the Chicago School was made famous by someone named Milton Freeman and Thomas Sowell. So look those guys up if you wanna learn a little bit about the Chicago uh, School of Economics. But they believe in smaller governments, less government, right? No government interference, zero interference. So there's no funding and, and no laws and regulations to prohibit businesses of operating freely. And as you move towards the top, you're moving more towards small business and independently owned and power to the individual, right? Power to the individual freely express themselves however they want to be, right? And I feel like a lot of musicians would resonate with that. And so that first school is has a little bit of the Keynesian economics, it has a little bit of the, the math and the charts and all, all, all that stuff, and is a whole lot more free and a whole lot more decentralized. And then if you move towards the top, top of the diamond, you have what's called the Austrian school. And the Austrian school is pretty much almost completely decentralized. And there's zero, definitely zero government interference and, and really small government, right? And almost barely any government programs. People pay less taxes. They have fewer restrictions to operate freely. And that creates more opportunity for small business. And when there are more small, more small businesses, it creates competition, right? And when there's competition, what happens to price? The price goes down. When there's more competition, what happens to quality? The quality goes up, right? So we have better, better prices and better quality in a completely free market. That's the kind of capitalism that I love, free and open markets, right? So if, if you're not comfortable going all the way there, um, being anarcho-capitalist, right? As we, as um, Rebecca, I forget her last name, um, Blanken, but she's been on the podcast and she, she's a, the anarcho-capitalist musician, right? And a free market musician. She, she has a really cool blog. Definitely check that out. But um, So maybe it might seem a little bit too extreme to move towards that, but check out the Chicago School. Check out Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell, right? Check out the things that they talk about because more competition does create better pricing, better quality, and it gives power to the people. So what would we apply that to education? 
you know, the same class of students, they, a lot of them were on scholarships, right? And these are government funded scholarships. In Florida, we have the Bright Future Scholarship. So as long as you take that money to a public school, your college is free. It's paid for. And it doesn't matter what you study. You can study whatever you want with that free education. I know some politicians will talk about free education in Europe. Well, I can tell you from Germany, sure, there is free education, right? But it's only the best of the best and the brightest that get that free education. And no, they cannot use that money to go study music, to go study literature. They're using that money to go study medicine, engineering, architecture, law, right? And those are amazing degrees, nothing against those degrees, but that's the only thing you can use your government scholarship for over there, your government funded education. So I say education here is free because we have state scholarships that fund state schools. So what would happen if you didn't have to take that money to a state school? Let's say you take that money to wherever you want it. Let's, so in Orlando, we have a school called Full Sail University where I used to work at, right? And it's, it's probably, it is the best music business program in, in Orlando, in Central Florida. Probably the best, maybe, maybe the Frost Music Business School in, in, at the University of Miami might be a little better, right? But one of those two are probably the best music business program in Florida. Maybe the entire Southeast, if you don't count Nashville or Tennessee, or actually Nashville, right? So it might be the best music business program in the two best music business programs in the entire Southeast, but they're both private schools. So someone has a state scholarship in Florida, can't go to Full Sail and they can't go to Miami. But what if they were able to take their money there? What if you could take your money to any private school that you wanted to or public school? What would happen? What would happen to education? There would probably would be more options, right? Because I've already said, if that ever happens in Florida, I will start a physical campus for the Making It Academy. Take my word right here. I will start a physical campus when students can take their scholarships and take them to any school that they want to. I will start a Making an Academy campus where people can learn about the music business, entrepreneurship, finance, right? And I'm not the expert in teaching all of this, this stuff. I'll teach the music business part, but I, I will have other experts teaching these other areas. So what would happen if anybody could open a school? More, more options, right? More small businesses, more opportunity for for better education, for the education that you want. Doesn't everyone deserve to go to the type of school they want to? If you can't afford Full Sail or you can't afford University of Miami because they have expensive private schools, then why not create more options? And when there are more options, again, what happens to price? The price goes down. Now Full Sail becomes cheaper. University of Miami becomes cheaper. What happens to the quality of education when there's more opportunity? It gets better your public school education becomes better because now they have to compete with those private schools that are teaching real stuff, right? My, my philosophy in teaching is real life education. So when I teach in, in on my public university, I teach real life stuff. I teach students how to build ads. I teach students how to monetize their music career and build a business and teach gaming students, right? How to utilize Twitch and Patreon to build a real business. So there'll be more of that when there's more options and better education. And I'll wrap, I'll wrap with this. Doesn't every child deserve the same thing? Every child has a different learning style. I, in Germany, I was an F student, right? Or let's say a C student, right? And in Germany, after fourth grade, they decide which level of schooling you go to next based on your performance in elementary school. Based on elementary school, I was going to the lowest level of the three tiers and was set up to probably never be have the opportunity to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, architect, right? But if you go one of the higher tier schools, you definitely have those opportunities. So at fourth grade, your entire life is judged for you on how successful you're going to be unless you start a business, right? So doesn't and everybody has different learning styles. Like you, you were expecting all kids to adopt one style of teaching, one style of learning when we're all so uniquely different and our interests are so uniquely different, doesn't everyone deserve the opportunity to be successful? So why not apply that same philosophy to taking your money to any school you want to our children? Shouldn't every child deserve 
to take their money to any school they want. And sure, there's not enough private schools or not enough charter schools and they're expensive. But again, remember the lessons that I've already mentioned. It's gonna create more options. It's gonna create more opportunity. It's gonna create more entrepreneurs, more businesses, more jobs, better paying jobs, better quality education, and more affordable education. So we set, we need to set up our society for success, right? We set up a society for success by giving people the opportunity to build a business, the opportunity to get the education that they want, the education that's best for them, right? So let me close with a few success stories of independent musicians. Shannon Curtis, she's been on the podcast. She has built a career playing house shows. In her first year playing house shows full-time, she, uh, she was it, she made $50,000, right, on a two-month house concert tour. Now she's making close to $75,000 on, on a two- to three-month house concert tour. She's built an amazing business. Wolfpack, completely independent artist. Doesn't, I don't even think they have a manager. They definitely don't have a label. And they sold out three nights at Madison Square Garden with very creative ways on building a business. Check out the Sleepify campaign that they did. Really, really cool way and added almost some more rules to, to Spotify um, because of how they gamified the whole Spotify platform. Don Beyer, another artist, amazing artist that's been on the podcast. She's built a career doing Facebook Lives. In her first year doing a Facebook Live, she made $75,000 using her virtual tip jar. She owns her entire business, right? All these artists own their entire business. They own everything. Corinne Campbell, she used to be part of the Entrepreneur Crew uh, on the Creative Juice podcast. She does $18,000 a month on subscriptions. If you go to her Spotify or Instagram, her numbers are not impressive, right? I mean, what's impressive, right? I, I'm not impressed by someone who has a million views because it doesn't guarantee ticket sales. But Corinne Campbell, like on her Instagram channel, she maybe has a couple thousand followers on spotify maybe a thousand monthly listens but she makes eighteen thousand dollars a month because she's focused on building a real business and we'll talk more about that on on the podcast too right and my friend emily cop who has been on the podcast or goes by lowen now right she has built a successful career doing music licensing right she has a deal with music bed and has her music played or, or is placed in tv shows or mostly commercials right but she makes a full-time living doing that. She was able to use that money, move to Nashville, buy a house, become a full-time musician, full-time songwriter, and has built a really successful career. Last one, Blau, EDM artist. He has a platform called Royal, which I've talked about on the podcast. He released his first single on, on Royal. Most of my students have never heard of Blau, and his single on that he released on Royal is worth over $6 million. There's no record label that's going to give a musician $6 million for one song. So musicians can sh show us, right? The fitness industry shows us that ownership can lead us out of poverty and end the, the fact that we're living paycheck to paycheck. They show us how it's done. If we take some of the lessons you learned in this episode and you expand on that and learn more. And I'll bring, bring some more guests on this, on this, on these topics on the podcast too. And I'll do some more lessons on, on the podcast about these topics. But the more we build ownership, we start small buy buy an index fund, right? Buy one share of an index fund, buy, buy a fraction of a Bitcoin or an Ethereum or whatever, do your research on this stuff, right? Buy a piece of land and sit on it for a few years, buy a house and rent it out. Buy a house, if you're a college student, buy a house and rent out all the bedrooms, right? Maybe you live in one bedroom and you rent out the other two or three bedrooms. That'll pay for your mortgage and maybe a little bit of profit on, on top, right? So when, when, when the government gets out of our way, it becomes easier. It becomes, more people have the opportunity to build a business, to build entrepreneurship, people or be entrepreneurships and build more competition, right? And build better quality products and, live the lives they love, as I was saying, and build a life that will lead, can lead to happiness, right? Again, money doesn't necessarily buy happiness, but it makes things easier. And they can have the money to make things easier for themselves and, and build better lives for themselves and their families. And they can start, when you talk, heard this term old money, they can start building on old money, right? It may not be their money, 
it might be not their kids' money, but their grandkids, they can benefit off of that, right? If that's all done right and you teach your community um, how to do it right, you teach your families how to do it right and, and give back, teach people how to do these things because it's going to create a better society when we all are able to do things that we love, when we're all able to build some financial freedom, to build a little bit of a cushion. So when the shit hits the fan that we don't just go broke and go homeless, right? Give us a cushion to not live paycheck to paycheck. And trust me, I've, I've worked at this for a really long time now. And thank God, right? I've worked hard, been disciplined. I could probably have been more disciplined, but we have close to six months worth of savings now uh, of, of expenses. And it took a lot of time to build up. It took a lot of discipline. And it's still scary, right? If I lost my job today, it'd be scary. But it's not as scary as it used to be. I don't take as much shit at work as I used to because I've built a little bit of security. So politicians destroy lives. And don't let political ideologies or political parties persuade you to, to do something that can continue to, to destroy lives. Quit supporting those things. Quit feeding into the drug, right? This election is so important that you have to vote Democrat or Republican. Vote for the best person. Vote for someone that supports building up the middle class and building up the lower class. Support small businesses, shop local, build some ownership for yourselves because small businesses and ownership save lives. I hope y'all enjoyed this episode. I, I really love this stuff. And if you, if anybody else was inspired by this, a couple, two resources I want to share. If you want to do some continued learning and I'll share those in the show notes. Check out Murray Rothbard's essay, Anatomy of the State. It was actually tweeted by, by Jack Dorsey, former CEO of Twitter or former owner of Twitter. Um, really, really cool essay, really inspiring. And then also John Taylor Gatto, really anything from John Taylor Gatto, but he has an essay called Seven Lessons, it's a Seven Lessons School Teacher. And he's also the former New York State Teacher of the Year. One of the most amazing teachers that has ever lived. He's no longer with us, but some amazing books that he has written, some amazing essays and talks that he has done. So definitely check out Murray Rothbard and John Taylor Gatto. Maybe I'll cover some of their stuff on, on the podcast. If you enjoyed us, would love to hear from you. Love, love to see, see some comments. Hit me up on, on Instagram, on the DM. And thank you all so much for, for listening to a little bit different type of episode if you're still here. And as I always say, spread love, positivity, and kindness in the world and live the life you love. Peace, my friends. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. Trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life. Raise your hand if you heard any of those tiresome phrases over the past year and a half. I know my hand is currently raised. Millions of people across dozens of industries were labeled unessential and forced to lock down with livelihoods and futures crushed in an instant. And as government has continued to expand its power and leverage fear to turn neighbor against neighbor, a group of filmmakers have taken a stand and are determined to help set the record straight on the importance of following the actual science of the pandemic. Follow the Science on Lockdowns and Liberty from the Sound Mind Creative Group is a brand new docuseries highlighting the stories of those negatively impacted over the past year and a half by ineffective government policies enacted in the name of following the science. With noted experts like Nick Hudson from Panda, the Pandemic Data and Analytics Organization, healthcare policy advisors like Scott Atlas, and telling stories of business owners, families, and just your average everyday person harmed by these government mandates. Follow the Science on 
Lockdowns and Liberty is giving us a chance to make sure the true stories of the pandemic are told. So please help us at The Brian Nichols Show in supporting the Sound Mind Creative Group. With noted figures in the Liberty Movement like Dr. Tom Woods donating thousands of their own dollars to this project, you know just how important this project is. So head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science to donate and catch their brand new trailer to the docuseries one more time. That's briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science.